I'm lead pastor Noel Petras, and welcome to the Exeter Valley Church podcast. Our church plant started in 2021 with the goal of seeing God's kingdom extended in our hometown. If you're curious about Jesus, looking for a home in the family of God, or feel called to be a part of a kingdom expansion in Exeter, California, we'd love to have you join us Sundays at 9.30 a.m. in the Veterans Memorial Building at 324 North Cahuilla Avenue. For more information, head on over to www.exetervalleychurch.com or find us on social media. Thanks for listening. So the parents in, in this crowd will, uh, will relate to uh, this story I'm, I'm about to tell. I, I would like to say that this story has only happened one time before, but that's not the case. In my house, we have a youngest sibling. Most of your houses have a youngest sibling, right? So you know where I'm going with this story. But one of the things about a youngest sibling is a youngest sibling is very aware of the things that her older siblings get and get to do that she does not get to do. And one of our youngest siblings' uh, favorite phrases is, it's not fair. Who can relate to a story of a younger sibling? It's, it's not fair. And that's what, I, that's what comes to mind when I think of the response of the, the vineyard workers in this story. Uh, today, uh, we find Jesus telling a parable in which a few full-grown adults tell their boss, it's not fair. If we, if we look at this story in context, we've, we've just come off the story. Last week's story was the story of the rich young ruler. And uh, in that story, at the end of that story, Peter had said to Jesus, like, hey, look what we've done. We've actually given up everything, like you're telling this rich guy to do. We've done that. What's our reward? And if you remember from the last story, we thought to ourselves, like, shouldn't Jesus have been kind of offended at that question? But no, Jesus wasn't offended. He said, ah, yeah, you have given up a lot. And so as a result, there's a reward waiting for you. Well, it would appear that that was Jesus' first response to Peter's question. Today, I think we get the second response uh, to Peter's question. His first response was a promise of rewards, but perhaps sensing the possibility that a disciple could get puffed up with pride in his own accomplishment, Jesus' second response to Peter is designed to work against spiritual pride. Disciples should know, after all. Leaders should know, after all. Both the great promise of rewards that we find in Jesus. Jesus wasn't anti-reward. He taught rewards, but he also taught the great peril of judgment against the spiritual pride that's prone to crop up. After all, God opposes the proud, but gives strength to the humble. See, pride in one's spiritual activity is anti-gospel. And so in this story, we see Jesus' second response. Yes, there will be rewards for you, for those of you who've given up houses and families brother and sister, mother and father, etc. But there's also a warning. The warning is actually bookended. If you look at Matthew chapter 19, verse 30, the very last line was, so the last will be first, and the first 
will be last. If you skip down to uh, the last verse in today's passage, verse 16, you will find the same phrase. So evidently this passage is Jesus teaching about what will happen to the last and to the first on the final day of judgment. And the fact that this instruction uh, comes twice, bookending the story that we're studying today, is it's instructive. Evidently, Judgment Day will be a day of surprises. Some who we thought would be first, evidently, even though they've made great sacrifices, will actually be last. Why? It would seem because of spiritual pride. And some who we thought would be last will actually be first because of their own merit? No, but because of God's generous grace and his generous grace alone. So in today's story, we've got a parable, which if you remember, we've seen several parables from Jesus. Uh, They were mostly uh, stories about agriculture because it was such an agrarian age. Maybe those of us in the Central Valley are are well-positioned to understand uh, another agrarian uh, story, but parables are just, they're stories that have a moral to them. There's something to be taught in the story. So Jesus tells a story that's meant to teach a lesson, and in this case, a story meant to teach a lesson about what God is like. This is an important story, couldn't we agree? A story about what God is like. This is a parable about what God is like. So he who has ears, let him hear. I want to talk about two parts of the story, what I believe are the main teachings of the story this morning. We'll talk about the call of God, and then we'll talk about the generous grace of God. And then finally this morning, I want to wrap up by talking about how we respond to the grace of God. So in verse 1, it says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for her vineyard, for his vineyard. I'm sorry. He agreed, he agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. So Jesus starts this parable with a phrase that's pretty familiar to us by now. For the kingdom of heaven is like. So this is a parable about what the kingdom of heaven is like. And Jesus uses this phrase to introduce many of his parables. He also used this phrase when he said, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near, or the kingdom of heaven is at hand. See, Matthew used the phrase kingdom of heaven, um, but we also see uh, elsewhere in the New Testament that the phrase is actually kingdom of God. So other authors use the phrase kingdom of God, but they mean the same thing. In any event, the kingdom of heaven is the way of life that Jesus came to bring. The kingdom of God, or the kingdom of heaven, is where God's goodness reigns. So this is what it's like, where my goodness reigns. That's what Jesus is saying at the start of this parable. So the parable is about the kingdom of heaven, but it's also a parable about a couple other characters that we should know. The first character that we learn about in in verse 1 is a landowner. Who do you think this landowner represents in the story? No one wants to be wrong in church, I get it. So this landowner is is God. The landowner in this story represents God. Second in the story, we're introduced to some workers 
whom the landowner is hiring to work his vineyard. These workers represent people, us. Those whom he hires represent disciples of Jesus. So we've got people in the streets looking for jobs, and we've got people who get hired to do a job. The people who are hired represent the disciples of Jesus, those who have accepted his call. They're God's chosen people, those who have a place in the kingdom of heaven. So notice here, the disciple is a worker. The disciple is not like an Xbox aficionado. The disciple is not someone who just hangs out in the clouds, resting all day long. The disciple is a worker. Anyone surprised by the fact that God calls people to work? <clears throat> you know, I've noticed that there's an intrinsic benefit to work. My, my two oldest kids um, have jobs this summer, and it was kind of hard to get them jobs. You know, it, it used to be easier to get jobs, actually, when I was, I remember starting to work at like 14. But anyways, I'm starting to date myself now. It's harder than it seems to get teenagers' jobs these days. And it was, it was hard to convince them that they needed to get jobs. But Meg and I were just relating uh, to one another the other day, like, man, they've, like, really, like, they've, like, grown up quite a bit in a short period of time, it seems, just by having these jobs. They're getting up out of bed in the morning. These jobs, while they weren't necessarily looking for work, they would have gladly slept in longer and, you know, been on their phones or whatever else. The jobs seem like they're having a really... Uh, positive uh, benefit. Now, um, some of us tend to think of work as a consequence of the fall. But if we go back to the creation story, what came first? Work, the jobs that God gave Adam, or the fall? Work came first. Work was a part of God's good design. So lest we think work is a consequence of the fall, it was actually created before the fall. And, and so um, human beings, they're, they're created to work. And without work, especially without meaningful work, there's something kind of pathetic about people. That's a strong word. That was a quote. I didn't say that. That was a quote. That was from uh, Freddie B. Frederick Dale Bruner said that. Just you can shoot the messenger on that one. Kind of strong. But can we agree, right? Work, meaningful work is a really important part of uh, being human. So anyway, the the landowner in the story, he's God. And we're represented by the vineyard workers, and the first half of this story is about this landowner and how he gathers workers. And uh, he, he, he doesn't just gather once. He gathers multiple times throughout the day. He goes out early in the morning, and then three hours later, he goes out again. And then three hours later, he goes out again. And then three hours later, he goes out again. And then even gathering workers at like five o'clock, like very late in the day, the 11th hour, he's gathering workers the story goes on to say verse three about nine in the morning he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing not working he told them you also go and work in my vineyard and i will pay you whatever is right so they went so if god is a landlord and and we are the workers the first thing we must know about god is that he's on the hunt god is on the hunt he's looking for a few good men Isn't that what the Marines commercial used to say back in the day? I don't know if that's still the tagline. God is on the hunt. He's looking for a few good men. Notice the workers are not looking for him. Solomon did a great job correcting the poor theology in that song this morning that we found Jesus, right? 
which, which is also true that we've also found Jesus. But what did Solomon say? It's not so much that we've found Jesus, but that he's found us. This is one of the truest things about our relationship with God. God's on a manhunt looking for workers, looking for a few good men. He'll take decent men. He'll even take wicked men and make them good. This is the first thing we have to know about God. God is an initiating God. He starts the process. These aren't workers like, like Gunner, man. We, we, had to take in, we had to go several times applying for jobs. He was looking for a job. Not in this story. God, the landowner, pursues his workers. He's an initiating God. God calls, we respond. And I'm so thankful that the Christian story is not a story of us finding God, but of God finding us. This is key. This is key. Every other major religion in the world promotes a story of working your way towards God. But the Christian story is not a story of us working our way towards God. The Christian story is a story about the God of the universe searching, hunting, looking for us. He's come down so that we don't have to go up. The second thing that I want you to see about this God, this landowner, who's searching for workers, is that God calls us out of our sin, but he doesn't stop there. The gift of God is not just a call out of our sin, it's a call into something else. He gives the disciple kingdom work, valuable work. Look, it's not just that you've been called out of sin. You've been called into a life of meaning with him. We are a people who have been saved from sin, but we're also a people who have been saved for a kingdom purpose. We need to see ourselves as the workers in this story. So the landowner is a headhunter, the vocational type, not the like vigilante type. You get what I'm saying? The landowner is a headhunter, and he's hiring people to work in his vineyard, and he's hired a few already, but he's not done. Verse 5, it says, he went out again about noon, and about 3 in the afternoon, he did the same thing. And about 5 in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? They said, because no one has hired us. Well, he said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. Did you ever stop and think, like, what's up with this landowner who continues looking for workers all the way through the day. Like, what's going on? Like, you know, I think we could understand a story where the landowner went out in the morning, found his workers, came home, they worked all day. But this guy is working all day long to find more workers uh, for the field. And I was just wondering, you know, has anyone ever worked a job where new employees started showing up throughout the day? It kind of feels like, I, I, ha- I have never worked a job like that, but maybe some of you have, but it kind of feels like a little bit chaotic. New people being added to the mix as the day goes on. I, I wonder if any of them were like, man, this is the fifth guy I've had to train today, and it's almost quitting time. Why are we bringing new people? Anyways, what's up with this tactic? Well, NT, uh, I'm sorry, New Testament scholar um, Francis Wright Bear, he says, and Francis, I, I don't know, that seems like a girl's name, but it, Anyways, I'm, this, is, this guy's a man. Francis Wright Bear, he says, sorry, just the random things you think when you read names out loud. Uh, Francis Wright Bear, he says that if the master comes looking for workers so late in the day, 
It can only be that there is great urgency about getting in the harvest with something that we learn about God through this story, through his headhunting. There's a really important job to be done. A really important job. The harvest is huge. Jesus said in Matthew 9, but there are hardly any workers. Look, we've been saved from our sin and we've been saved for a purpose. In this case, the purpose of gathering the great harvest. So far, this story has been about the initiating purpose uh, giving call of God. The initiating purpose giving call of God. But, But it's about to take a turn towards judgment day. Fair warning, uh, Judgment Day is coming, both in this story, the next verse, but in real life too. Did you know that Judgment Day is closer right now than it's ever been? So there's some warning to come in this passage. So we should get real serious. Again, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. In verse 8, the story continues on. And this is where we see the turn towards the grace of God. Verse 8, when, it, when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. So evening is judgment day in this story, the day of reckoning. Maybe uh, we, could, we could call this the, the, uh, an allusion to the second coming of Christ. You get it. This, we're painting a picture here of the end of time. Verse 9, the workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received the denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more, but each one of them also received the denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said. And you have made them equal to us who have become, who have borne, I'm sorry, the burden of the work and the heat of the day. So the mistake of the workers who had come first was comparison. They said, hey, what about these guys? They just showed up, and they're getting paid the same thing. They're comparing their plight to the plight of these others. Have you ever heard the phrase, comparison is the thief of joy? That's what's happening here in this story. Here we see these, these workers robbed of the delight in a generous payday. And that's what this is. The denarius in that time was was a good day's wage. It wasn't a bad day's wage. It was a good day's wage. And yes, these were laborers. He was paying them as laborers. But a denarius was a good day's pay. And here these workers, because of their comparison, cannot have eyes to delight in a generous payday. And Jesus' warning is that we not get too big of a head when comparing our merits. Look at all that I've done. That's what the workers are saying. They're comparing their merits to the merits of other disciples, perhaps even those who come later. As I was uh, studying this passage, I thought of a story of uh, a friend of mine who just recently passed away. And his his entire life, at least the life that I knew him, um, so a a few years, uh, he, he would say, I'm not very religious. That's what he would say when I invited him to church. But you know, in his last days, he decided to make peace with Jesus. I, I, I think of my friend when I, when I read this story, even my friend who came to faith, he lived his whole life standing in the streets, 
But in his last days, he heard the call of his Savior, and he came home. This is how it is. But when we compare, what, what if I were to say, what if I were to grumble and be like, oh, well, you know, he, I've been serving the Lord my whole life, and he gets eternity because he came late? You see what's happening. This is the picture that's being painted. The disciples are grumbling because they have thought a lot about themselves and what they have sacrificed. And Jesus has promised rewards for their sacrifice, but here he warns them of judgment. And it would seem the cure for spiritual pride is found in this passage. We need a greater sense of God's generous grace in order to limit our own pride. We've got to pay attention to his warnings. But it's also true that God's grace can seem unfair, is it not? Because God gives the undeserving more than they deserve. Notice the complaint levied here against God. This is uh, verse 12. Essentially, what they're saying in verse 12 is what my youngest daughter says. It's not fair. <laughs> and it's not that he cheated them or broke his word. You get the story. that he, he followed through on what he promised them. And yet they say it's not fair because they're comparing. It's not fair, they say, that he was generous with the less deserving Get this, they're, they're mad at the landowner, not for his deceit, not for his lack of integrity, not even because he doesn't pay well. They're mad at the landowner because of his goodness. They're mad at his compassion. They're mad at his generosity. All the while boasting of their own goodness. Dang, I wish there was no part of me. In this story, maybe some of you are feeling a little convicted, saying to ourselves, hey, look at all that I've done. I love the story, too. And it was really hot outside. <laughs> it was really hot. We worked all day. Martin Luther believed that the heart of the gospel of Jesus is in this story. The fact that God does not want to deal with us according to our works according to our deserving, but instead according to his grace. This is good news. This is good news to people like you and like me who are in desperate need of a Savior. And if we're not careful, we'll miss it in comparison. The story goes on, verse 13. It says that one of them uh, uh, was answered by the landowner. I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for Denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who has hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do so? What I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I'm generous? Are you envious because I'm generous? And then verse 16, the famous words, so the last will be first and the first will be last. Commentator J.A. Bangles says, it is wicked to wrong God, but still worse to think oneself wronged by God. This is the crime of the men in the story. It's wicked to wrong God, but even worse to think that God has wronged you. God, you don't know what you're doing. What are you doing, God? It's not fair. Isaiah 55, 8 through 9 comes to mind. For my thoughts are are not your thoughts, O Lord, nor are your ways my ways, 
If we're not careful, God's ways can seem unfair. We need to receive this warning, take a step back, and be really thankful that his ways are not our ways. So the moral of this story is in the final verse, verse 16. See, last become first by sheer grace, not by work performed. First become last because of pride. It's not because of their failure to do the work. You can do all the work you've been called to do and still miss the boat because of spiritual pride. That's what Jesus is telling Peter in this story. Salvation is by industriousness in the religions and philosophies of life. Not so in the Christian religion. Salvation is by divine mercy in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I love that song. We couldn't earn it. We don't deserve it. Still, he gives his love away. This is the story. This is the gospel of God. This is the good news that we can take into the streets. The good news is not that if you get it all right, you have a place with Jesus. The good news is that even though you didn't get it all right, you have a place with Jesus. This is really good news. See, the master's generosity has not been motivated by any inward or outward merit in the people called. It, rather, it's, it's a generous gift grounded exclusively in the master's will. Why did he pay them the same? Because he wanted to. Because of his generosity, because of his love for those who came later. Because he wanted to. This is amazing grace. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound. This fact that lasts become firsts, not because they've done enough good works, but because they have a good Lord. Who's glad we have the gift of salvation based on his goodness, not our goodness? Amen, right? So the last part is responding to God's generosity. We learn that from the disciples here. We, we see, frankly, don't respond like this. Disciples, this is not the way to respond to the grace of a good landowner. Uh, as I was preparing this week, I, I was reminded of the story of Jonah. You can just put your hand up if you're familiar. The Jonah, yep, the, the, dude, the dude that got eaten by the whale, right? And supposedly it wasn't even a whale. You know the story, Jonah. We, we have a tendency to make Jonah out to be uh, some sort of hero. Actually, not the case. If you read the whole story, um, so Jonah was called by God to Nineveh. We'll review really quickly, right? Called by God to Nineveh. He, does he go to Nineveh? No, he goes the opposite direction. He gets on a boat. He goes to this town called Tarshish. And while he's on the boat, storms come. And he knows the reason the storms are coming because he's been disobedient, right? And so he tells the sailors on the boat, throw me overboard and the storms will stop. And they do, and the storms stop. And then Jonah is swallowed up by a really big fish and then spit out on land three days later, right? And, and Jesus even referred to this story. Do you remember that? Just like a few months ago, he said, I'll give you the sign of Jonah. So this is a pretty important story, evidently. But finally, Jonah goes to Nineveh after being spit up. You know, you would think that he's been humbled at this point in time. But uh, he prophesies the pending destruction of the Lord and what happens? The people of Nineveh repent. 
They enjoy salvation. They enjoy a full day's wage. You get where I'm going with this story. So Jonah's happy, right? He did his job. Yay, prophet speaks, the people repent. Let me tell you, this is what every prophet wants. You speak and the people repent. So Jonah's happy, right? No, Jonah is not happy. Check this out. Jonah 4, 1 through 4. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. And he became angry. He prayed to the Lord. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is why I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, Jonah, is it right for you to be angry? So what we see, I think, in this story is, is two options for responding to the grace of God, the unmerited favor of God. We could choose a jealousy that leads to hoarding. This is what Jonah chose. He didn't like God's plan. He didn't like God's grace on people who did not deserve it. And so he runs the opposite direction as far as he could get from Nineveh. Have you ever seen the VeggieTales version of this story? He buys a ticket to not Nineveh. Am I correct? That's exa- you can go look it up. Kids, if you don't know what VeggieTales are, you're, you're missing it. This is how we're going to raise kids to follow Jesus. Bring back VeggieTales. Jonah, was hop- he was heading the opposite direction. He's like, I do not want to bring God's grace to a wicked people. And when, when God delivers these people, when they repent and he gives them mercy, Jonah is angry. Man, Jonah's not the model that we can put him up to be. When we respond to God's grace with envy or jealousy, like the workers in this story, this is exactly how we're responding. And if we're honest, we can do this. We hoard grace at times for ourselves when we respond with jealousy. But there's another option for Jonah, and there's another option for us this morning. We could embrace the grace of God with a joy that leads not to hoarding, but to sharing. Like, the story could have ended like this. The workers, when they found out about this generous landowner, ran out into the streets to tell all their friends about how generous he was. We can receive the grace of God with a joy that leads to sharing. True joy in the unmerited favor of God would lead us to joyful sharing. What if the workers had responded with joy? You you probably get where I'm going with this. We've got a community of people standing in the streets waiting to be found. We have a loving God whose amazing grace is unrelenting. When we receive it, will we, with joy, share it with those around us? So here's your choice this morning. Jealousy or joy? Jealousy or joy? Will you be like the younger sibling in my house who's going to kill me 
after she finds out about this sermon. It's not fair. Or will you with joy take the grace that's been given to you and share it with those around you? Look, to compare is to hoard and to kill joy. Here's a question. Will we tell his story or will we hoard the glory? Will we tell his story or will we hoard the glory? Hopefully that was a really cheesy line that will stick in your heads from now until forever. Look, we got seats here. We're here this morning because we've received the generous grace of God. Because we've been met not with what we deserved. We've been met with unmerited favor. Let's share that message with our community. There's got to be someone you know in your life that could use the message of God's generous grace. Let's pray. Hey, we're so glad you joined us, but don't forget to stay connected, either through our website, our social media, or the Church Center app. Or you know what? Better yet, come join us in person on a Sunday morning. See you soon.